Welcome to the Bomb Shelter, your weekly journey through the miraculous world of film. So they get on the spaceship, right? And then yeah. they find this like creature. And turns out the creature it's it's similar to the one in Midnight, except that this one also replicates your physical appearance. Oh, by the way, I think we're recording. Oh, really? Oh, okay then. Yeah. I guess we're gonna start this episode. This, Hi, everybody. Hi, everybody. This is episode either 16 or 17. I'm pretty sure it's 17, but okay. we're, we're going to have to take a rain check on that. Uh, this is a, an episode in the late teens of the bomb shelter. Yeah. This is, uh, so full disclosure, uh, schedule has been crazy. Not the kind it of is, schedule that you can... Uh, know maintain a regular podcast under and i'm sorry about that let me just We're say that up sorry. top yeah so we haven't recorded in about a month and a half we released the indiana jones episode like two weeks ago after a month of like trying to be like hey has this been edited <laughs> and it's mostly because max was at a film festival and had better things to do uh, so uh, yeah, uh, well, I'm I'm also back in school. I I think that's something yeah. I can say. I'm back in school. That is that is something that's important. Yeah, and he's at a uh, at a enormously more demanding program than I am. So uh, we apologize oh, from taking this show from. We took this show from like a weekly thing, weekly bi weekly thing, and then to a thing that happens every once in a while, <laughs> and. We're also Basically. perfectly okay with that. Yeah. I mean... We might do this yeah. more often, though. We might do this more often. When We're going to try and find the time to do this more often, because this is fun. And it's also it also gives me and Max an excuse to talk in a way That's that true. is uh, com- completely and utterly simulated in order for us to record... Completely it natural. An, an amazing way to connect by uh, putting on an act, essentially, for an hour and a half. So if you haven't already and you'd like to... Well, get notified whenever new episodes come out. We encourage you to subscribe on your favorite platform. Tell a friend about the show. On a programming that, note, yeah. we we can we can tell you, we can tell you one thing, and that is that we have a Christmas yeah. special planned. And hell yes, we have a Christmas special planned. Uh, we'll talk about it at the end of the show after we're through this week's exciting feature presentation. But before we get to that, yes, indeed, Pat, uh, what have you watched lately? Is 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 my first question. My God, what haven't I watched? Uh, so I, um, it's been a while since we've talked to each other, and in that time, I've seen multiple, uh, multiple movies. I went to the movie theater to watch Killers of the Flower Moon, which you also saw. That's right, I believe. Yeah, and I think we both concur that it's fucking astonishing. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much, right? Um, not a lot to say there except it's great, and Lily Gladstone is really good, um, and Martin Scorsese. Who knew he's really good at movies? He's good. He's good at movies. Um, but also more recently, so it's more relevant to the conversation. I saw, um, I saw The Killer. I finally got around to seeing David Fincher's The Killer last night, and it's really good. <laughs> it's it's quite good. Um, it's very precisely made. I, I got to see it in a theater. Yeah. 
You got to see it at the festival, right? At the at the no, Vancouver not, International Film Festival. It wasn't at the festival anymore. It was at at one of the venues that also had festival films, but after the festivals. Okay, that's that's fine. Though, uh, but yeah, I I found it a very meticulously made film. The way you know, David Fincher, a bright boy, likes making very meticulously crafted films. Um, very gore, very nice to look at. Very visually. Astonishing every every frame of painting. <laughs> it's oh. just very good. I thought I found it very entertaining and very straightforward and very um very well scored too. I like the fact that Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross are now thought of as like the guys that score movies really good and not just the guy from Nine Inch Nails and his buddy. <laughs> you know oh, what I mean? Oh that that that's been them for a while now. Let's, let's be honest. It's been yeah. them for a while, but I, I like the fact that they're like Academy Award winning human beings, you know what I mean? For okay. score, for soul. Sure. Yeah. I think they I think they won for so, for soul with John Batiste. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I saw that. Um do you want to say something about what you watched this past week, month, month and a half before I well, get there, to my next one because I have well, a couple. There's a lot. Uh yeah, given the, the the kind of uh, school program that I'm in right now, it uh, allows Certainly, me, but also yeah. it's it's part of uh, homework to watch a lot of films. Uh, in, in terms of classics, in terms of things from the past, I recently saw Claire Denis' Beau Travail. I saw uh, Top Secret. I finally saw Top Secret from Zuckerman Abramson. Hell yeah, Zuckerman. And then Hell in terms yeah, of super recent Secret. stuff, I saw, yeah, it's, it, it throws a lot of shit at the wall and it's some real of it, goofy. It's goofy as fuck. Some of it didn't hit for me. Some of it is kind of problematic today, but there's a lot <laughs> yeah. of creativity in there that just modern comedy movies aren't allowed to do anymore or don't go for anymore or don't, yeah. whatever the reason is, right? But God, goddamn woke, woke mafia ruining <laughs> comedy movies. That's not what I was insinuating at all, but <laughs> I know, I know, I'm just messing around. Good, okay. No, but there's, I, I think the musical sequences with uh, Val Kilmer uh, doing his best Elvis impression, those are very, very impressive in terms of their execution. Those are fun, yeah. And then there's also a high sequence towards the end of the film. That's uh, very nice, <laughs> yeah. executed, nicely executed as well. Except for the part where, where two humans impersonate a cow. <laughs> That's my favorite part. What are you talking about, well, man? Well. One of them well, gets boned by a cow and he's bowling at the rest of the movie. <laughs> well. <laughs> Come on, you're laughing, man. Some... some yeah, so, yeah, it's 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 right on the line, and it depends depending on the day. I'll, I guess I'll feel differently about it. Okay, that's fine. That's yeah, fine. I, and then, I love Top Secret though, so that's the thing. And then, in terms of uh, recently more relevant films, I saw uh, May December on Netflix, which I deeply regret oh. because I, I I I can disclose that I currently live in a in a city where the limited release that Netflix does, it regularly appears at a theater near me. So I could watch the newest Netflix release two weeks early at a theater, but I don't always do that because I'm not always sure about the quality. So I went and saw The Killer yeah. in theaters, 
and I also should have gone to see May December in theaters. That's uh, I'm dying to, be to see May December. I'm dying to see May December. It, it sounds great. It's one of those films where you're covering your mouth the entire time out of sheer shock and disgust, and also craftsmanship in terms of uh, the presentation. It's it's a it's a great great complete package at a. I, I think this movie is really good, and I also never want to see it again. <laughs> That's what I thought about, like, uh, uh, The Father with Anthony Hopkins. It's just one of those movies where, like, I apologize. I'm congested because we live, I live in a place where there's a volcano, and it's constantly emitting ash. Oh, still? And the ash. Wow. No, it, it does it all the time. I mean, you've you lived here for quite a bit, so you know. Yeah. Even on the on a good day, there's still a certain amount of ash permeating in the air. That's and true. my uh, sinuses hate it. So that's the thing. Um, yeah, to me, The Father with Anthony Hopkins is one of those movies where it's like, I thought it was astonishing and moving and quite a complex piece of film the first time I saw it, the first and only time I saw it. But when I finished it, I was like, man, that was great. But I don't want to repeat that experience again. It's a very, it's a very painful disorienting experience where you're kind of subjected into being in the mindset of someone who is going through dementia and it's like i don't want to go through that in real life i don't want to go through that like even in a safe space where it's artistically rendered and powerfully performed but i thought it was great and i, I just not not just just not an experience i want to repeat but i am dying to see may december i would really like to see that um this week uh, I also watched Napoleon, Ridley Scott's Napoleon in theaters. And I thought I this see. would break his negative streak. Because <laughs> his last two, his previous two movies, uh, not my thing. Okay. Not my thing at all. I really did not like uh, House of Gucci. Uh, there's instances there when I'm, where I'm like, well, Jared Leto is playing like a cartoon chef on a pizza box. Yeah, and that part I thought he's I was playing Ma either Mario or Luigi. He's yeah, a father, and he's uh, he's very ridiculous. And that part I found to be very fun, yet very terrible. And the rest of the movie is not in his energy, and it just felt very stereotypical Italian voices doing this very uninteresting story. And I was like, I don't know about this. And the last duel, I was like, you had something interesting, but it was lost. I think in the. The whole like he said, she said thing is kind of lost to me somewhere in there. And I was and, and it lost me. It, it lost me at some point. Um, but I was really excited about Napoleon because I was like, well, it's a Ridley Scott movie um, and a historical epics about yeah. Napoleon starring Joaquin Phoenix. And I was like, this is going to be really cool. The long awaited sequel to Napoleon Dynamite as well, I believe. Exactly. Yes. And first of all, Pedro is not in the movie, which is very disappointing to me. Um, neither is John Hader. He's too busy voicing horses in yeah. Russian Pinocchio movies. Couldn't couldn't get him back. Um, he the fee was too high. Yeah, he was too he was too tall. Uh, they went for for a different vision with this Napoleon movie. No, I I think it's three or four very well made battle sequences. Very very well made. Particularly the one at Austerlitz is very cool. That that one is very awesome. And I believe and the, the scene. The I believe the scene at the pyramids is. I think that's a reference to an old, old like Scottish film called uh, "Battle of the Bastion" that was uh, directed by Mike Potions. Do you remember that one? 
I think I do. I I like Mike Potions quite a bit, and I I do recall that. I just think it was uh, it was like Napoleon showing his dick metaphorically. Yeah. To to the Egyptian forces, and I know it's not historically accurate, but that shot fucking ripped. <laughs> that shot ripped so hard. <laughs> that shot really goes hard. And I was like, if this movie is full, because that's like maybe a third of the way through the movie, and I was like. I, I hope the rest of the movie is stuff like this, because this is awesome, and it's just awesome for awesome sake. And it tells you more about Napoleon than, like, as much about Napoleon personally as you can fit into, like, a two-and-a-half-hour movie. And again, battle, uh, battle sequences and cool shots like that aside, and cool moments like that aside, most of the movie is just this very rushed-through speedrun of historical events starring Napoleon. I see. But the movie doesn't give you an insight into at least Ridley Scott's take on Napoleon. Like, his take on Napoleon seems to be very superficial. Very like, well, he was short, but he liked, man, he sure liked to conquer. And he sure loved Josephine. And that's about as deep as the movie goes to me. And I was very disappointed by that because I was like, well, Ridley Scott, he knows how to make movies and he knows how to make compelling characters. And this one wasn't as compelling. Uh, I'm hoping that the director's cut that is going to be releasing on streaming is better at this and is at least feels like a complete movie and it doesn't feel like three movies all competing against each other um, and like fighting each other for screen time. I hope it is. As long as there isn't any voiceover, you know? Yeah, well, there is a little bit of voiceover. Oh, Um, God. But... Again, you should need four hours to tell me who Napoleon is, like, or at least your take on Napoleon is. There's, there's, I don't know if you've heard about this guy, but his name is Steven Spielberg, right? And he made this movie about... Yeah, Abraham he's one of Lincoln. Mike Potion's buddies, yeah. Yeah, he's one of Mike Potion's old buddies from back in the day. Mm. Um, he made an, a Lincoln, an Abraham Lincoln biopic, which is one of my favorite movies ever. I really like that Lincoln. That movie tells you... Everything you need to know about Spielberg's take on a, on on a Lincoln in the first like twenty minutes, okay. which is how storytelling in a movie should work. Like they set up this situation and they don't show you his whole life. They show you maybe like the last. They don't even show you the beginning of the Civil War. They don't even show you the Gettysburg Address, which is like if you're making a Lincoln movie, it's like why is this not in the movie? That's your Oscar not. moment, the Gettysburg Address. That would be your that would be your Oscar moment. And yet, there's like three or four Oscar moments in that movie, and Daniel Day-Lewis got it, you know? But in the first 20 minutes, they're like, this is a situation, this is the guy that's in the middle of it, and how is he going to get out of this situation? If you know anything about history, uh, you know that he managed to get the 13th Amendment put into the Constitution, and that got his head shot by a crappy actor. Um... But the way the movie frames it in the first 20 minutes is like, this is a really rough situation. Like, the first 20 minutes are enough for you to go like, man, this guy's got to have some real big old cojones in order to get out of this situation unscathed. Some cojones. Man, how how difficult it must be to be the president of the United States during the Civil War. That's got to be crazy. That's got to be insane. And it is. And Spielberg lets you know that, and you feel like you know Abraham Lincoln by the end of the movie. And Napoleon changes a lot through, during the course of this movie because it's portraying his whole life, 
and it's a lot it's a lot of stuff to fit into a movie so it feels more like you're doing a wikipedia article into like a two and a half hour documentary like aired on the history channel uh, let, let's say the you are like en- encyclopedia movie. britannica you know sort of yeah. up, the, up the quality it a feels little like bit here yeah it feels like you're doing the encyclopedia britannica entry on napoleon into a history channel movie instead of like a comprehensive movie about a character or a characters because this movie is a lot about josephine mostly about napoleon it's also a little bit about josephine and how she's kind of desperate and she's playing napoleon for a few that's mostly what this movie's about. um Okay. So yeah, I was very dis- I was very disappointed, and I was like, I I was really excited for how this movie was gonna play out, because man, Dune Part Two didn't come out this year because no. of some shenanigans. So I was like, maybe this oh, is yeah. the epic I need to oh, close yeah. out the year, because because <laughs> you because you and I both know that Aquaman is not gonna be the movie <laughs> that that's gonna be like the big bookend to the year. So you you like, want to go maybe, watch it Christmas Day? Napoleon you you want to make it a date? You want to make it a date? Go watch Aquaman Christmas Day? Hell yeah. Day? Hell yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be here. I'm going to be here on Christmas Day and you might be too. So we could totally go watch. <laughs> we could totally go watch Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. I'm sorry. I had to say the whole title. Um, starring oh. Amber Heard for some reason. Okay, cool. But I was, I was really hoping that this would be like, this is the movie that's going to close out the year with a bang. This big blockbuster thing because it's making money it's making a decent amount of money because if there's something we've learned from oppenheimer and barbie it's like uh superhero movies they're not going to do so good anymore unless they're good like guardians 3 and spider-verse well yeah uh-huh. so like this is so this movie should be the big end of the year like oh it's kind of an award season it's award bait it's oscar bait for sure um so yeah, man, I was I was really disappointed. I was like, man, I really thought this was gonna be it. I guess I'm gonna go have to watch the holdovers, which I'm being told is amazing. And uh, yeah, man, I'm gonna go watch the holdovers. Okay, great. Yeah, I, I, well, that I, was my that was my last week. Yeah, I rem- I remember enjoying my fair share of Alexander Payne before, so might be yeah. good. And also today I watched. Uh, and also today, uh, me and Mao, who could not be here. Uh, sadly, uh, we watched uh, Return of the King in theaters. My dreams came true, and I watched Return of the King in theaters, and we had a lot of fun. Out of uh, how, out of how many dreams? Like how 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 many like lifelong dreams do you have? Oh, multiple. I have so many. Uh, this was one of them. I well, wanted well, to well, watch yeah, Lord yeah. of the Rings. I, I I would assume multiple because that can mean two, three, four, five. How many? <laughs> how many did you actually I, have? I have a I have at least like fifty and now I it's forty nine. Good. Okay. Yeah. Just just uh, to put so, it into perspective. Yeah, I've, I've always wanted to watch Lord of the Rings in a in on the big screen and I got to do that today. Uh I also I think this year I also watched Titanic on the big screen, which was something that I've always wanted to do. Uh there's a couple of movies that I would like to watch on the big screen still, but I I got big but, two out of the way this year. Like which which ones? Give me give me give me three more, three more films you'd like to see on the big screen. I would want to see Ben Hur on the big screen. That would be cool. Yeah, I would on the Actually, widest screen you can get. Sto- yeah, I have a fun story about that. My great grandfather was an extra in Ben Hur, which is fun. All right, 
where where, where was he where where does he where does he show up i think i think he's in the in the racing in the coliseum thing he's somewhere in the background okay. and it was back in the day where you paid extras <laughs> like good money mm. um so he got a good paycheck out of that and he he split um my mexican ass grandpa who went to los angeles for like a month and they were like hey can we put you in a roman costume <laughs> and then have you pretend to be a yeah, this cool story that I learned this week from my grandmother is like, my dad was an extra in Ben-Hur, and I was like, can you stop everything? What? Um, Ben-Hur is one. The Shining is something I would love to see. 2001, uh, The Shining. That's free. Uh, yeah, Full Metal Jacket. Uh, Four. All, all that stuff. All of, the, all of the Kubricks I would love to watch on screen. Okay. Um, on, on, on the big screen. Um, maybe what else? Oh, uh, maybe uh, Harakiri Kobayashi's Harakiri on the big screen. I'd love to watch Akira on the big screen, that'd be cool. Yeah, um, yeah, man, just cool, cool guy shit like that. Pants Labyrinth, Pants Labyrinth didn't get to watch it on the big screen. I would love to do that. Um, uh, we could just stop doing this and talk about our feature presentation <laughs> you, you just kept you just kept going no what, what i was going to briefly transition into is that I, i've gotten to see some classic on the on the big screen uh i, oh, I saw yeah. i saw true romance last week in theaters cool. it's a 30th anniversary yeah and another another good val kilmer as elvis performance among many more um i saw the japanese horror classic house in the theaters I want to watch that movie. That's on my watch list. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's it's a very particular, very interesting beast of a of a okay. piece of art. I I saw two when well around Halloween I saw both Suspiria and Deep Red in theaters. Okay. Yeah that that was that was which, a lot of which, fun. Which Suspiria? Well, the one by Argento, so the, the, the old one. Okay, so not the one yes. with Madame Webb, whose mom died not, in the Amazon the one, while she was researching spiders. <laughs> not, not the one with, uh, with the ancient one, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. the, the city has a lot of opportunities like that. It's a lot of fun. So, before we, before we get into our uh, feature presentation, uh, we can talk a little bit about the the Christmas special that we're doing. Uh, Hell yes, we can take it away, buddy. So at the end of this episode, there won't be a poll for you to pick our next movie there because will not. our next episode is going to be pick Jack shit. the The Christmas special, and for our Christmas special, we thought it would be a good idea to watch some Christmas films, some Hallmark Christmas films. Yeah. I think we can easily bang out three. For the podcast, and uh, <laughs> we could we could just pick three and just talk about them. Um, and I know it's not a Hallmark movie, but if we could talk about the Christmas Prince, that would be fun. Well, we'll we'll talk about it. Maybe it'll be three Hallmark films and the Christmas Prince. Maybe it'll just be the Christmas <laughs> Prince, and it's just our live commentary. Uh, it's needless to say, the format for the Christmas special might be a little bit different, but that's because it's a Christmas special. So we're doing a Christmas special. 
uh, and we're doing a very specific sort of Christmas special. So stay tuned for when that comes out. We might do other dynamics for it. We might uh, put out maybe a question sticker on our socials. We might put a question sticker on Spotify, and we might uh, even include um, live elements to it. I have no idea. We're going to figure this out in the next week. <laughs> the point about the Christmas do. special is that it's a special episode of The Bomb Shelter. Yes. Yes, of course. First, all right, let's get into... We're ending the year... <laughs> Ending the year. We're with ending a bang. the year what way? Ending the year. With, with a bang. Good. So let's get into our feature presentation for this week. Uh, oh, so let's. The, so Please the, let's. So the poll winner was uh, Daddy's Home 2, which was. It was. Well, I guess we got stuck with it when our guest on last episode uh, proposed it and it. One out. It won like a me. It won immediately to the point that it was strange, but also at the same time, the other three movies on there, not as well known as Daddy's Home, because it was. I, I think the other three movies on that list are Cocktail, Deep Blue Sea, and Manta Manta, the German movie you proposed. Exactly. So, it it is very. It was kind of predictable that this was gonna win, but I did not imagine the margin. Yeah, the margin was strange. Which means that we have to put an equally strange movie on the poll the next time we actually do the poll so that we get something <laughs> See, properly yeah. strange. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, exactly. Yeah, so something cool. We So when that result came in, we said we might as well just watch both. Yeah, we're not just, just going to do two. We're going to do one and two. Exactly. And really get into the whole... Uh, uh, Daddy's home cinematic universe, the DHCU, to get the entire <laughs> lore, Thank the you. richness of the world that is created in the Daddy's home sure. franchise. So, I think, Pat, why do we do this to ourselves? <laughs> why are we could, doing this? Could you briefly, briefly, tell us, okay, the story of the first Daddy's home film from 2015, I believe. Oh, you want one of Pat's classic uh, plot breakdowns of a movie. Okay, sure. Yeah, but brief. So, Keep it brief. Yeah, you know I'm not going to do that. So, uh, Daddy's Home is about this guy called Brad. Uh, he wants nothing more in life than to be a dad. He loves, he loves the idea of being a dad. But he can't have his own kids because of a snafu at the dentist where he shot a bunch of radioactive waves into his testicles. Very, very dumb scene that made me laugh because of how dumb it was. But he marries this woman played by one of my personal celebrity crushes, Linda Cardellini. He marries this woman who has kids from a previous marriage. Two little kids, right? A boy and a girl, right? Uh, and he's like trying so hard to be recognized as their father by the two kids. But these two kids obviously prefer their birth father above him, even though he puts a lot of effort and love and care into being their father. One day, however, uh, the family gets a visit from uh, the ex-husband, a guy called Dusty, whose job is never fully defined, but mm -hmm. we can assume that he kills people for a living. <laughs> we can assume he's, he's definitely fomented uh, coups in multiple countries and has killed the indigenous people of said countries. 
He's he's been like some sort of special ops dude. Yeah, well, or like a, gun- a mercenary. A mercenary. He's off the book. I'm I'm assuming he's a mercenary. Yeah, because he's like st- like embedded in cartels and stuff. Very strange. Um, so Dusty, who's the ex-husband, and Brad, who's the stepfather, right? They start getting into this contest of who is the better dad, right? And Dusty obviously is more extravagant, and he's like, I'm going to give my kids extravagant gifts. And Brad is like, no, but we got to educate these kids, and I'm a cool dad that can educate and be a cool dad at the same time. And they start getting into this battle for the affections of Linda Cardellini, who really should be married to me. Um, yeah. and, and the admiration of these kids, right? I, you made a face like you don't agree with my statement. And it's less of a statement and more of wishful thinking. Because Linda Cardellini has been a, a celebrity crush of mine ever since I saw her as Velma in that movie, uh, the Scooby-Doo movie. You know exactly what scene I'm referencing. Um, we I don't ju- have to say it. You know, I, I just, I just want to say that Linda Cardellini has the perfect right to choose whoever she wants to marry. But if it came e- down to exactly. it, she would pick you, me over you. That's all I'm saying. Uh, I agree to disagree. But let's continue with Daddy's Home. So uh, Brad and Dusty start escalating their battle over the affections of Lena Cardellini and her kids. And it eventually leads to a falling out between Brad and Linda Cardellini. I'm going to keep calling her Linda Cardellini. I'm sorry. Um, you know, if you, really, over, if, Brad, if you really cared about her, you would remember her character's name. That's all it's I'm Sarah. OK, but, I'm, but I call her Linda. <laughs> I, OK, Linda. Linda and I are, are on good terms, so she understands. <laughs> okay, yeah. I know, I know the character's name, Max. Yeah? Okay. So, uh, Brad goes way overboard trying to discredit Dusty, and he is shunned from the family for a sec. However, Dusty quickly realizes the amount of work that goes into being a dad that he realizes he's not built for, and he abandons his children yet again. <sighs> However, Brad manages to catch up to him, in time for both of them to be to accompany the daughter at the daddy daughter dance, therefore deciding to be good friends and co dads and being a healthy family unit rather than just fighting each other all the time. The movie ends with a dance off set to the ever topical like a G6 by the Far East movement, and then the movie ends with uh, Dusty getting married to a woman whose ex husband is John Cena. And that is Daddy's Home One. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think one of the important details, and I think because it's the sequence that the film is built around on, is a sequence at the, well, I think it's the New Orleans Pelican Stadium. So they attend a basketball match. Yes. Between the Lakers the match. and the Pelicans. And uh, Will Ferrell's character, Brad, Spends a lot of money to get good seats, but then Mark Wahlberg's character Dusty manages to get yes. them quite Mark Mark's character Dusty. And then Will Ferrell's character gets picked to shoot from half court and possibly win a vacation to Disneyland. But by the time he has to shoot, he has gotten so drunk of a five liters of beer. He can't <laughs> walk straight anymore. Yeah, some very, very, very unfortunate and frankly embarrassing lines from Brad trying to 
in his mind, win the family back, even though he hasn't technically even lost it yet. That's so tragic. Yeah, it's very, very sad. Um, <laughs> it's, it's so sad, I connect to it emotionally. It's, it's, um, a, it's a family Max, drama, if you think about it, really. Max, we have a structure to this show, which means we have to compliment this movie first. I'm, I'm going to throw the structure completely overboard. Because... <laughs> you, because you have no compliments? We're just we're just gonna go through our notes one by one, okay? Sure. Okay. And that, and, That's fun. And whenever um, whenever we want to compliment the film, we will. Whenever we want to diss the film, we might. Okay, that's fun. Uh, so I think you and I might have the same first note, which is which is um the Ford commercial right out of the gate. The movie <laughs> well, starts with a voiceover by Will Ferrell, and then like two sentences into his voiceover. He immediately goes into the, and then there's my Ford Flex. It's perfect for the whole family. It's spacious and it's practical and it's not, it, it doesn't break the bank either. And then it goes back into his voiceover about his family. And I was like, what, what, <laughs> what was that? I mean, it's, it's a great way really to, to gain yourself a celebrity endorsement. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I don't know why Tesla hasn't done that more often, you know? Whenever, yeah. whenever there's, the, whenever the reason a, why, whenever a production company is selling sponsor spots, why, why hasn't Tesla jumped at that? And it's like, yeah, let's let's give them a Cybertruck. Let's give this family this nice family of five, yeah, a Cybertruck. Yeah, I mean, Spike Lee just got a Cybertruck, so you 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 got an endorsement from Spike Lee. Um, here's the thing: really? the reason why that product, the reason why that product plug is so funny to me, is because. Later in the movie, it gets absolutely wrecked by Dusty's yeah. motorcycle going through a yeah. window, and I was exactly. like, "This is the way. This is how you chose to promote your car, Ford." Did well, Ford sign off on this? I, I, Ford one hundred percent signed off on this. It's weird. I think when 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 they were talking to the producers and they said, "Okay, so the car, so the back of the car, the back seat, and the trunk get absolutely demolished by this uh, motorcycle flying through a window," they said. Okay, we're cool with that if in the first five seconds of the film we can get <laughs> one of the stars doing a commercial. Is that okay? And the producers went, absolutely. And why wouldn't they? It's, it's, it's money. It's money. You, you, you want to get or your film made. Maybe it could also be like a, a sort of work, like a backhanded compliment to the car in the sense of like, this car is so well built that it can run perfectly even after a motorcycle has landed on top of it as part of a funny hijack. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, it didn't damage the engine or the tires yeah. in any way. So technically yeah. it would still be able to go. You would just, if you drove past that car, you would just go, get your, get your car fixed, man. What the fuck is get, wrong with get you? Your, what, the, what the fuck is wrong with you? So irresponsible. Um, yeah, uh, so we're going to go through notes one by one as they become relevant. Um, uh, again, the scene in which he goes sterile is one of the dumbest yet legitimately funny scenes I've seen in one of these. Because there's a lot of Will Ferrell comedies like this that are pretty bad. And you all and you kind of know what the movie is going to be like, like 10 minutes into the movie. But just Certainly. this scene where he le just like allows where the this like snot face snot nose dentist uh puts this like radioactive component in front of his face and it slowly dips down to his balls and it and it makes him sterile and world feral is just like uh-huh <laughs> it's, it's very legitimately funny to me. it's dumb but it's funny yeah 
It toes the line. It toes the line pretty good. And then the rest of the movie doesn't really. Um, uh, Linda Cardellini is a jackpot. I agree, Will Ferrell. <laughs> Whatever your stupid character name was. Yeah, Linda Cardellini's great. <laughs> she's she's so passive in both these movies. Well, oh, we can talk about that when we, when we get to the second one. Okay. Um, yeah, I think the real big note of this movie is like this movie really feels like it could have been just one of those throwback like the biological dad is bad or the stepdad is bad because there's a lot of those in like 80s and 90s a lot of like family or comedy movies where it's like the evil stepdad and the dad has to like gain the affections of his wife back and then the stepdad is like a totally reasonable person the whole movie and then right at the end he becomes a psychopath for no reason other than we need to side with the normal, with like the biological dad. Yeah, we, we need to side with the, the gaslighting biological dad. Yeah, yeah, we need to si- we need to side with the one that has the highest billing, the top billing in this movie. Um, and th- it feels I feel like this movie could have been that, but there's just a lot of mid two thousands, and this movie was released in twenty fifteen, which is what makes it odd. It's got a lot of that, like, recent rock, like, Dwayne Johnson movie energy. It's got a lot of post-Jackass. This is what makes people laugh, just like people getting their shit rocked over and over. It doesn't really matter if the movie is, like, resonant in any way. And it's just, it's just very comfortable being mediocre and very low effort. And I was very put off by that. And it's also not funny. I, I think, Those are the big two problems. Okay, the, the the my pull quote for this movie would be, uh, I, I guess I'd like my comedies either R-rated or really, 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 really absurd. Yeah. And uh, Daddy's Home is neither. Daddy's Home is rated PG-13. And uh, feels and looks a bit too conventional for my taste. But I can totally see this being someone's comfort movie, for example. Oh, yeah. Oh, 100. This is not the worst or most offensive comedy movie of the 2010s. Like, this is this is a perfectly mediocre yet standard issue movie from, like, late career SNL stars. You know what I mean? People who really made it big in the 90s. And now they're just comfortable with, like, pumping out shit like uh like mike myers just like busting out that pentavert show which is terrible that really bad show he put out like yeah just being comfortable with like i'm richer than i'm rich beyond imagining and i could just be comfortable shitting out movies for the rest of my life except eddie murphy eddie murphy's doing great eddie murphy's doing actually funny movies and it's also just good to see him again eddie murphy also has a christmas movie coming out i believe He's got a holiday movie coming out. That's right. But he's he does like Oscar worthy performances in like Dolomite is my name. So like that's the difference, I guess. Ah, oh, no, no, that's what you meant. Okay, good. And and Will Ferrell is tenth billing in the in the Barbie movie. So like that's that's what I mean. They're, well, they're okay. just funny people, but yeah. they're extremely comfortable in a rhythm. Sure. Yes. So I think. Do you remember? I think there was a mash joke in the film 
And that's sort of that's sort of the conflicting tone of it for me because it there's a lot of cursing in it. There's a lot of cursing in the there's film. A lot, a lot, a lot of cursing. A lot of very a lot, a lot of very sh- overt a lot of, sexual. A lot of shit and bitch. A lot of sex humor, but then also yeah, and and a mash joke. But then you also have little children in the film, which <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which are, yeah. So it's it's I sometimes it felt like it wanted to be a family film. Then at other times, yeah. it obviously wasn't. So I, I think I'm leaning to not really a family film when it comes to the tone. There, there was this sort of push it and pull. It isn't really. There was this sort of push and pull throughout where I wasn't really sure. There's some, mm. yeah. Some, oh yeah, the, the very, yeah, yeah. very, very um, creepy boss so, played uh, by Thomas Hayden Church. Oh, I loved him. I loved him so much. <laughs> he's he's in he's like a boss in a porn movie like he's insane <laughs> he's but they allow him to be like this crazy character the whole the whole thing in with like first of all brad has a very specific job he runs or he's like a he's a sort of high executive at america's number three smooth jazz radio station and it's called the panda weird enough what a weird specific it's something a comedy writer comes up with. Absolutely. It's something a comedy writer comes up with and that's why I like it. That's why I think it's funny. It's like some comedy writers like, "No, okay. So I figured out this guy's job and he did this whole pitch and everyone in the room laughed." And they were like, "Yeah, this is great, but nobody outside of people who like writing or who in, or who write comedy is going to appreciate this." Oh. But then they but then they put in this 1970s porn character played by Thomas Hayden Church, who's like constantly talking about like he adopted an adult and he get got him his citizenship, and then it turns out that he was actually in league with the girl he was married to or something. It was just really weird, random ass stories. And just a lot of cutaways where you're you think you're watching a private conversation between him and Brad, and then they turn out they're in a conference call. Like that sort of stuff, I was like, if the whole movie was this, you'd have a fighting chance at something interesting and just worthy of appreciation for how odd and bizarre it would be. But the yeah, rest of the, the movie is so generic. When Thomas Hayden Church talks, it's sort of their outlet into absurd adjacent territory. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's the it's so good. It's absurd-ish. It's more vulgar than absurd. It's very vulgar, yes, but it borders on the totally absurd because it is so full of, like, comedy writer sensibilities, because it is Will Ferrell, and because it is probably written by one of his comedy writer friends. I'm going to look up who wrote this. Sure. But yeah, it it just, it's just so, it's just so, like, dedicated to, like, no, we're just going to be vulgar for the sake of vulgarity, and we're not going to be, like, putting out crazy ideas well, out there and well, yeah, see but, if they're gonna stick. I, I understand the premise, like, the, the boss is in, instead of him being this sort of laid-back professional person, he's a walking HR violation in terms of... <laughs> he's, he's insane, yeah. In, in terms of, he, he's really, really open, but also uh, creepy. Yeah. Yeah, really gross, but he's also, like, a, like a Air Force vet 
and he's also been like with like multiple women where they're like immigrants and they're trying to like steal a green card or something and yeah, those, also... those, those are some out those, those that's the outdated othering type of humor that yeah, for, yeah, for, yeah. Frank, frankly did pull me out a little bit i have to say yeah it 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 is gross but like this is obama's america you know we didn't care that much <laughs> this is <laughs> we <laughs> We? Am I right or not? Like we? I mean, we we as Westerners didn't care that much. We were like, I "This just, is kind of dumb." This is the first time I ever seen this movie. If I saw this in theaters, I probably wouldn't have liked it either. I would be honest here. Yeah, because it's not funny, but it's also we wouldn't think it's cringe in 2015. We'd be just like, every movie is like this, and now every piece of media is like really really skirting a line in terms of what it can and can't depict or say so yeah um yeah man thomas hayden church i really liked him in this movie i thought he was i thought he was funny to the extent that they allowed him to be funny because this could have been funnier and it wasn't because the rest of the movie plays it very safe the movie is very conventional and the movie is very generic and the movie plays it safe for the most part even if it is vulgar and very blue at times um very yeah I, times. I have a note yeah i have a note here it says uh this move i appreciate a movie being goofy which this movie certainly is but this feels more like a sketch on snl and not a particularly good one instead of like a fully fleshed out idea for a movie and it feels very derivative of other movies like there's a sketch on snl it's like a it's like a commercial for a bug spray and it's like, are uh -huh. you tired of insects living in your house or roaches living in your house? And it perpetually evolves to like the roach played by Don Cheadle starts spending like an inappropriate amount of time with the guy's wife and kids. And then one day the guy walks into his bedroom and the roach is in bed with his wife. And then it becomes like a like a drama of like him like, I'm going to do it. Like he's drunk and like holding a can of Raid or like bug spray. He's like, I'm going to do it. And the roach is like, come on, be a man. Show your son what it means to be a man. Like a bunch of stuff like that. Oh. And that feels like a better idea for like a funny, like that feels more like a funny premise for something than like. That sounds R-rated and absurd, which is what I want my comedies to be, damn it. Yeah, like I love that sketch. And, I, and this movie feels like, it feels like it was generated like in a movie generator, like insert like a mad lib sort of thing of like okay where most of the structure is already there and you're just like filling in gaps and the gaps are like character name here uh pop culture reference here um insert actor that is relatively becoming famous here and that's hannibal burris uh and then the movie just exists like that and it was and it's just very disappointing and very very tedious to see movies that are like that. Well, for your Hannibal Burst prompt, I would go with insert comedian who's just naturally funny and can improv. Yeah, and Hannibal Burst is hilarious. He's so funny, and he's constantly stuck being the supporting actor in movies that are less funny than he deserves, like this one and the Spider-Man movies, where he's just the weird-ass conspiracy theory sports coach. By the end of them. Yeah, like what when he shows up in No Way Home and he's like, "You're a murderer. I believe Mysterio." I'm like, "That's yeah, that's great. That's a great little bit for Hannibal Burst." In terms of there's there's multiple sequences in this film that take place at the fertility doctor's office. 
and oh my god that fertility doctor yeah but for when 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 that fertility doctor asked uh mark Wahlberg to expose himself uh, i i'm not sure what that constitute a hipaa violation or not just for the fun of it i started to think about it maybe it's not as a hipaa violation directly because he's i guess he is sharing Mark Wahlberg's medical information inter- with Will Ferrell, and that might be inappropriate. So maybe that constitutes maybe a that, violation. It's just, it's just in terrible taste. It's just in terrible taste. That, that whole scene, I was like, what is going on? Because, first of all, they have Linda Cardellini put her hand on Will Ferrell's character's balls. And that whole part is like, that's not that what? And and like it's it's not it's whatever. It probably wouldn't be okay in real life, but you can excuse it for movie logic, is what I would say. Yeah, and and they're also a married couple. It's like so. Yeah, I mean, and earlier in the movie, they imply that they've had some sort of contact like that before. She she calls his his scrotum or her furry pals or something, and I was like, oh, don't don't do that. <laughs> you know, like couples do that. But don't do that, movie. That's gross. <laughs> it's gross. It's gross when other people do it. When you do it with your partner, it's cutesy and and like an intimate thing. Not not funny when you do it. Um, but then they ask Mark Wahlberg to come in. He puts his pants down. Linda Cardellini's character gulps, <laughs> which is real weird. And so does Will Ferrell's character. Kind of. He's like, uh, oh my god. He or he. They. They. The doctor. And the married couple staring admiration at Mark Wahlberg's character's genitalia. And then they both leave to, like, collect sperm samples. And the doctor is like, hey, you gotta beat your previous record, man. And Mark Wahlberg is like, sure, man. And just grabs, like, a paper cup that you're supposed to drink water from and not this sterilized sample cup. And then Will Ferrell goes into the office and there's a curtain in the masturbation cubicle which is it, it, i'm sure that's should, not something it should just be windowless i think it should just be yeah windowless. i i immediately was like how is there a window in the masturbation cabin that's really weird so he exposes himself to a corporate party that is happening next door which um, should realistically that whole turn scene, him into a into a registered sex offender um yeah that whole sequence i'm like freddy got fingered should have scenes like this not this movie <laughs> this this well, that feels like well, it, yeah, but, okay. that but would Fred, feel right Freddy at Gottfinger home. Took it to another. I I think I think a man exposing himself, exposing his genitals to a room full of people, is too tame for Freddie Gottfinger. I don't know about you. No, but that but that conversation in the fertility doctor's office isn't. It it just feels more at home in a movie like not Freddie Gottfinger specifically, but it feels more at home in a movie like that where the doctor is just like, "Hey, come on, what are you doing?" It's like what. Bobby Cannavale, I, first of all, I don't buy him as a doctor, but like, it's just very odd. It's, uh, it's a very uncomfortable scene to watch. It's probably, well, yeah. yeah I, I, did, I certainly didn't feel comfortable either. Let me, let me just say that. It, one, um, one, one of my notes is, yeah, this just really isn't for me, is it? No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um... I have a sort of compliment to give this movie. Um, Will Ferrell is a funny person. Yeah. One of the all-time funny people. Yeah. And Mark Wahlberg isn't a funny person. However, they're both very good at just yelling or like 
bouncing off of each other. Certainly. They're both quite good at it. They're, they got good chemistry. The second one continues that sort of good chemistry between the two. Um, and that I think that's worth mentioning is that they're both good at this sort of character, even if the movie isn't good at being this sort of Certainly. Certainly. And I then, thought they were both funny. And then towards the end, when Mark Wahlberg's character is about to leave, about yeah. to run away again from his responsibilities, and Will Ferrell talks him back and drags him back. Uh, at the daddy-daughter dance, we have a Boston sort of dance-off to, to close out the film between... Uh, oh, with... With Bill Burr. My, my current favorite Bostonian, Bill Burr. Um... Yeah, man, he's. I love Bill Burr, and I like the idea of him just showing up in random movies and him being actually funny because he's a funny guy. Yeah, he's he's like in uh he's in the Pete Davidson movie, uh, King of Staten Island, which is not bad. Wait, it's pretty good, he, actually. Yeah, he, he well he plays a bigger role in that one. He's he's like one of the he main plays characters. a bigger role in that one. He's also in The Mandalorian, and he's unexpectedly very good in The Mandalorian in season two of The Mandalorian, season one too. But he plays a bigger role in season two. That's right. Um, and he's also uh he also released a movie last week, I think. Um and he's not directing last week. a movie. Not last week. Last it's, week. It's, it's it's like last month. Last month, yeah. And he's also <laughs> directing a movie that's gonna release soon. It's the same yeah, one. He's a fun... You're thinking of the same he's movie, a... which is called Old No Dads. No No, because No no no. He's releasing another one about a comedian that's his friend, and he's directing. Oh, okay. Okay, so yeah. he's he's directing. Uh, he's what you mean is he's directing another film. He's directing another film, and he's a funny guy. He's a very very funny person, and I just like the idea of him just showing up randomly at the end of this daddy daughter dance. And he's also in the beginning of the next one, and only the beginning of the next one. I yeah, so I think we can transition smoothly into the next one because I mean you you can basically connect them at the end of each other, yeah. and you would have one big four hour experience. So yeah, you get a quick montage with a lot of jokes from the first one. For example, in the first yeah. one, there's a joke about whenever you drop your children off at school and you pick them back up, you got to stay within the cones like ice cream. Yeah, sure, man. And Mark Wahlberg repeats that joke. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have, you have more jokes about Mark Wahlberg's new wife. You have the same chauffeur at the airport. So if you're a fan of the first one, man, the second one treats you a lot in the first 15 minutes. A lot of callbacks. You know, they play Thunderstruck again. You know, they, yes, they do. They repeat the joke about a car getting absolutely destroyed. Another Ford Flex enduring a lot of damage. Yeah. Yeah. Both these movies are really connected by the Ford Flex. Um, that's most of the thematic issues. A brilliant family SUV um, that, um, I mean, what else can you say? Max, do you want to give the quick plot rundown of Daddy's Home 2 at certainly. Daddy's Home Christmas? <laughs> certainly. So, at the start of Daddy's Home 2, we see this family unit of neighbors. We have Brad, Sarah, and her children on the one side, on, on one side of the fence. Including their baby including the baby that they did manage to have. After visiting the fertility doctor, see? Just like that. And on the other side of the fence, we have Mark Wahlberg. We have his very successful writer, wife, and his stepdaughter. And then it's Christmas time. 
it's the time of family reunions. They have this idea to celebrate Christmas as one big family. And yeah. so Wolf, Brad, Wolf Ferrell's dad, visits. He's played by John Lithgow. And the joke with him is that he is affable to the point of being annoying. Yes. And then he's the, overbearing. He's extremely affectionate. He's a very positive guy. Exactly. He's a very cool, nice dude. And then on the other side, you have, well, you have Dusty's father, who's played by Mel Her. Gibson, who is uh, a macho ladies' man kind of type, uh, not very affectionate, not very, uh, well, caring in the first place. He's into man things. He's an astronaut, and he's sexist, and he's Mel Gibson. And when, <laughs> and when they arrive at the airport, you have the contrast. So when Mel Gibson arrives, you have Thunderstruck playing in the background. He's looking yes. at the stewardesses all funny and trying to flirt with them. And he arrives yeah. next to Dusty, and they don't even shake hands. And then for a contrast, you have John Lithgow letting an old lady on the escalator before him, then sort of running down the escalator anyway to hug Will Ferrell. And the running joke in this film is that they really like kissing each other on the lips. So Will Ferrell and John yes. Lithgow lips each other's mouths throughout the entire film. Yeah, they French real hard. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. But it, it's, it's, they don't French, but they do kiss affectionately on the lips. That's true. Like some weird people do. Yeah, exactly. So, but first you think that this film might be a sort of home for the holidays kind of thing. But then, uh, I, I don't know if this is a sponsor spot or if at that time the app was just really new. I don't think it was that new anymore. But Mel Gibson decides to book an Airbnb with a bunch of activities in a little village, in a little skiing village. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Yes. So they get to the skiing village, and then you have them visiting a nativity scene. We have them building snowmen. We have them picking out a tree and decorating it later. But then the tree that they picked out turns out that was the little village's telephone pole. And yeah. throughout this thing, you know, the male insecurities of both Brad and Dusty come out as they spend more and more time with their own fathers, their family unit. And then Dusty and Brad once again start fighting each other to the point where they decide that they will no longer spend Christmas dinner together, but instead drive back home. And then a snowstorm happens and they get stuck in a mall. They watch a fake Liam Neeson movie during which they all sort of start to yes. reunite. And then after the film, they're once again snowed in. And then so they decide to spend Christmas with the mall employees and a lot of strangers singing Bob Geldof's holiday classic, Do They Know It's Christmas? <laughs> with some uh, brilliantly placed uh, auto-tune and singing without a microphone kind of performance. And that's, that's where, that's basically the conclusion of the film. The very end, you know, they pay off the joke with Will Ferrell and John Lithgow constantly kissing each other by Mel Gibson kissing Mark Wahlberg. Ah, and both of them acknowledging how weird it is. Um, both of them acknowledging that yeah, they, they might have gone a little too far for the fact that they are not that close. So Daddy's Home 2 uh, has joined the hallowed ranks 
of the Christmas movie sequel, uh, which is something weirdly that I realized that also the Bat Moms franchise has. Oh, really? Bat Moms, Bat Moms Two is a Christmas movie. Oh um, wow! Yeah. So this movie, I liked it a lot less than the first one. The first one is a very straightforward yet terrible movie. Well, not terrible. It's just mediocre. But it's a very straightforward movie. This movie is convoluted and filled with plot threads that make no sense and have zero payoff for no reason. Um, very th- things that are just like very problematic ideas that are not addressed at like, all. Like which ones? Come on. So, okay, know, count so them, for, count first them of on. all, okay, first of all, uh, Mel Gibson says this really weird. So first of all. There's this whole running joke throughout the movie that Bill Gibson is trying to buy his grandchildren guns and Brad won't let him because Good. he's a boring dude. He What a boring dude he is. <laughs> this is just a grandpa trying to connect with these kids, trying to buy them guns, trying to buy them firearms. In a, you, know, you know how tone deaf you have to be to be like, my grandpa's cool because he's trying to buy me a gun. I'm seven in America, dude. It, what, what is happening here? Okay. So he, that's the first thing. Then he goes, I'm not going to buy you. He goes with his granddaughter. He's like, well, no, I can't buy you a gun. The men hunt and women cook what we hunt, right? What we kill. Very, and they very, address, very sexist. Just a load yeah, of sexism they address, into, that woman, into that young girl's uh, ears. Uh-huh. They don't address the sexism. Instead, what it's they a do running is joke. they buy... The sexism is a running they, joke. Yeah, they buy a hunting rifle for the daughter. The daughter kills two deer. Turkeys. <laughs> two turkeys and accidentally shoots Mel Gibson in the shoulder. Which I honestly enjoyed. Yeah, that, I like Mel Gibson suffering at any chance. Oh no, it's okay. What I meant by that is I thought it was a well-executed joke. That's what yeah. I meant by so it. The, the movie has enough like awareness for linda cardellini to say this is bad what are you doing kurt don't talk about my kids this way don't talk about my daughter this way but the way that the movie pays it off is twofold one they they overcompensate by giving this girl who is clearly a serial killer the first movie introduces her as this very morbidly minded hateful little shit that's you know and, and a lot of children are like that to be fair uh-huh and the second way that the joke, the misogynistic jokes play out is that it forces Linda Cardellini into this storyline where she's constantly competing with the other, with Dusty's new wife, and well, it's very gross. Constantly trying to compete, comparing themselves to each other. It's like, oh, I'm, oh, I'm a great mother, and I'm also good looking, like that, that kind of stuff. That's, yeah. yeah. It, it's which is very, which is very gross. A bit out of it's place. very, very gross. Just a tiny. And also, bit out of Linda place. Cardellini, and also Linda Cardellini is far more beautiful <laughs> than the person playing Dusty's wife. What's her character's name again, Pat? Uh, the new wife is called. Oh, <laughs> Linda Cardellini's character. Uh huh. Oh, that's Sarah. Good. Please, you think I'd forget Linda's character? My my buddy Linda's character. Hmm. I, I think I remember who the name of the new what the name of the new wife is. I think it's Karen. Yeah, I said it earlier. Okay, it's Karen. There you go. Yeah, it's it's just a lot of things. Then the other thing that the, that doesn't really get paid off or just like happens and it doesn't get addressed 
um, is well, first of all, that 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 whole thing with with the girl killing the two turkeys thing does not pay off into anything. Oh, at all. oh, yeah, not, they don't have turkey dinner. They don't have. They don't, and they don't address the fact that this girl is a violent, vicious little girl. Um, well, then she's the whole she, like, she's she's uh, she's a bully. That she is a bully. Yeah, she's a bully. Yeah, she's a she's a terrible human being. Um, then they have this whole storyline where the son is trying to ask girl out, and then at the end of the movie, it turns out that it was actually his stepsister that he wanted his, to ask out, or yeah. his that he wanted to ask out, and everyone addresses that this is gross, and then this kid stands in front of a line of little girls that all take turns kissing him because he's standing under a mistletoe. Yeah. Because he's, stand, he's standing on the mistletoe, but it's like he's suddenly become the most eligible bachelor for fourteen-year-olds, or no? What I, are no, they, no like I, I think it's more of it's more of a situation where he's the only eligible bachelor. For <laughs> he's the only. He's the only because, and they make this joke where there's a little boy standing in the line and he peeks yeah, out like, that, "Oh, that, he's gonna kiss a boy." That's, yeah, that's again with the with the outdated othering jokes. Yeah. Yeah, very, very strange. Um, the whole, like, the dad gets divorced is, like, very, very superficially treated. John Lithgow. And, like, I love, I love John Lithgow. I love John Lithgow to death. And he was very underutilized in this movie for a lot of really weird jokes. Yeah, if, if you will, um, hold on. Let, let me look for one of my favorite John Lithgow films while you keep talking. Yeah. The whole, like, Linda Cardellini trying to one-up Karen all the time is just, it, it has no resolution, really. Um, the movie really goes off the rails at the end with the whole musical number. Certainly. They really don't, they really don't deal with the fact that Dusty is stepdad to this other girl, despite the fact that the stepdad in question is John Cena, who's one of the funniest people in this movie, and he is severely underutilized. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just full of holes. And the first one also had holes, but you had to poke them. You had to actively be like, well, this and this and this, this movie is like actively like, no, here's an idea. And then we're going to go to the next thing. And you're like, wait, what, what, what just happened? And it's not even, it's not even funny or, or bad. It's just mostly confusing and, and badly structured. (laughs) So the John Lithgow movie that I was thinking of, and it's 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 not only a John Lithgow movie, it's directed by Ira Sachs. That's the movie yeah. that I was thinking of. It's called Love is Strange. Okay. Love is Strange, a very much a recommendation on my end. Did John Lithgow ever work with Mike Potions, you think? Yes, they did a they they did a well, Mike Potions directed an episode of Third Rock from the Sun. So that's where they met. Okay. That's where they met, and they've worked together since. Well, he direct he he had like a multi he directed like a multi episode arc on Third Rock from the Sun. Oh, okay, on Third Rock from the Sun, yeah, yeah. My, and they yeah, haven't my, worked Mike, together Mike since. Came in, directed three straight episodes that were all sort of serialized and connected right before the series finale. Do you remember what the arc was? Yes, and do you? It was. 
I think it it involved Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character. Um, you know, they're all aliens. That's that's the whole. For those of you who don't know, all the characters what? on Third Rock on the, of the Sun are are aliens, uh, masquerading okay. as humans. And so okay. it's, it's it's a three episode arc that's mostly centered around Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character struggling, uh, learning Spanish. Okay, so. Yeah, Mike Potions directed those three episodes. That's fun. Yeah, um, yeah but, but but TV is a writer's medium. You know, like when you come into a TV show, you're a hired gun to make sure the show looks like last week's show. And Mike, they they sure. just they just got Mike Potions to do three weeks in a row that way. You know, they got the same guy. He knows what the show looks like. We can proceed. Yeah, sure. I completely agree. Um, yeah, I have a note here. Uh, it makes sense that the actor playing Mark Wahlberg's dad is the only actor in this movie possibly more problematic than he is. Because Marky Mark, Marky Mark is quite a problematic figure. I don't know if you know this. He punched an Asian dude in the face for no reason um, in a parking lot. And uh, we all know what Mel Gibson has done and said. What I think is more interesting <laughs> about, about Mark Wahlberg is it's sort of a it's a nice lens into the type of person he is. And I'm not disputing that he's a bad... I'm, I'm not saying he's a bad guy at all. I'm just, you know, it's, it's a window into the nuance of the person that is Mark Wahlberg when he said that he could have... Mark. When, when, when he said that he could have prevented a certain terrorist attack from happening if he just got on a plane <laughs> in time. Yeah. That's one of my favorite crazy celebrity statements ever made by a celebrity. Because there's a bunch of them and Marky Mark from the Funky Bunch, uh, saying that he could have stopped a certain famous terrorist attack if he was present. Um, it, it's it's a whole other level of unhinged. Yeah, but, I mean, Mel Gibson, I mean, why do you think he was cast in this movie? We all knew who he was. I guess this came out in, like, 2017 or 2018, so this is just the time where he's like, oh, he just made, like, an Academy Award-nominated movie with Hacksaw Ridge and people are like, no, maybe he, maybe we're going to ingratiate ourselves with Mel Gibson a little bit more. And then, and now they're not because no one cares really about Mel Gibson anymore. Yeah. It's well, it's this whole thing about you have to, I guess, get to a certain extreme or be less beloved to actually be canceled. But yeah, <laughs> do, of course. Do you want to have that conversation now? Or like, no, like, I don't. Th so, I don't so, think so. The certain extreme, for example, you you have you have Army Hammer as the example where what sure. he was accused of doing was so out there that yeah. people were so turned off, and then yeah. I guess uh, at a different level, I don't know who to go, yeah. who to compare. It, it to. has it has to be so counter to your whole persona. Sure. I think, or the, yeah, because Liz, I mean, Lizzo, I think, has taken a, a real hit to her reputation. That's, that's a real, that's a real hard thing to swallow about Lizzo, that thing that happened during summer, or the thing that was revealed about her during summer. I see. But, like, it also maybe kind of shows you, like, I don't know, because, I mean, Louis C.K. is, like, winning Grammys again. You know what I mean? So it's... Did he, did he win, or was he just nominated? No, he won. He won a Grammy last year. Okay. Well. Yeah, for best comedy album. 
Yeah, but we're here to talk about Daddy's Home too, so I feel like you're completely you're... right. I apologize. Yes. Um. Yeah, Mel Gibson, uh, a whole thing. Uh, I just, I just like to imagine Mel Gibson walked onto set, said the things he really thinks about all of life and masculinity and stuff, and they just put it in the movie. He's, he's certainly, he. I mean, he certainly was the correct type for that role. Yeah, sure. Certainly the correct type. We want a Mel, a Mel Gibson type, and oh look, Mel Gibson is available. So, yeah, sure. Let's let's stick him in. Mel here. Gibson is available. Um, nobody's paying for his next movie, even though it might be really good because he's not he's not a bad director. And Hacksaw movie kicks ass. Hacksaw Hacksaw movie Hacksaw Ridge kicks ass. Yeah, there there was a time where he was. Uh, I would I think the correct way to describe it is. Ambitious, really, really ambitious. Matter of fact, yeah, pa- Passion of the Christ is really ambitious, and it mostly pays off. Pretty good. Yeah, but Mel Gibson. Yep. So there's a certain type of movie Mel Gibson is interested in doing, and a screwball and a screwball comedy Christmas sequel might not be that movie. <laughs> yeah, it might not be that movie. But there was also a time where he was like the hottest ticket in town, and he did that uh, "What Women Want" movie. And maybe that's the gear they were looking for from this performance. Sure, I, I, I he, but he was being Lethal Weapon Man. He's too unlikable here, and in what women want, he's a little bit redeemable. I would argue. Yeah, he's redeemable in the sense that he's like ignorant, and he's learning how ignorant he is. But part of the joke is that he doesn't learn anything in this movie except like exactly. Maybe I should hug my son more. Yeah, yeah, he has. He has Which is he, not like his his arc in What Women Want is more complete than his one in Daddy's Home two, uh, two decades later. Yeah, sure. Uh, which is crazy. It's crazy that that parts of society have not progressed and have actually regressed. But this is not the show to talk about the nuanced nature <laughs> of societal composition. Yeah. Yeah, no, this movie, I, I really didn't like it. And it was full of hijinks. It, it has way more gags, like physical comedy gags than the previous one. And it has way more bits. It's just more stuff than the first one. It's, it's, and none it's of the it's first good. film with a slightly bigger budget set on Christmas. And we're going to give you exactly what you liked from the first one. That, that kind of a vibe. Yeah. That kind yeah, of Yeah, and it... It has actors that I like, and it has people that I think are funny, and they're just wasted in these very one-note performances. The the novelty, I think, of the dynamic between Mark Wahlberg and Will Ferrell has kind of vanished, and it's also not given enough room to breathe. Yeah, it, because it also it has takes to include the Wahlberg. It it takes a backseat, which is the good part of the first one, and it takes a backseat to the John Lithgow Will Ferrell dynamic and the Mark Wahlberg. Mark Wahlberg. Mel Gibson, and unfortunately, the Linda Cardellini Karen dynamic, which is not fun and is kind of gross. Um, and the dynamic between the kids is just like it's this is not what we were looking for. Yeah. Oh, I I I have a I have like a, like a filmmaking note. <laughs> yeah. The, do you do you remember the scene that, that's sort of in the middle of a film before? The entire family recreates, uh, or rather, poses for a nativity scene. Uh, yeah. Linda Cardellini's character Sarah is making eggnog. I I I know what the character is. So she is spiking some eggnog to drink herself, 
and then her and the other person she was talking to, I frankly don't remember, leave. And then from behind the kitchen counter, the kids pop up and get drunk on eggnog. Like, the, that's right. The, the, yeah. the, the, in terms of blocking, in terms of the mechanics, how did the parents not notice their kids behind the counter? Because from where they pop up, they would have to be like kneeling right next to the mother, right next to Sarah, in order to be able to get up the way they do, you know? Yeah, it's really, yeah, I mean, the whole movie is filled with that, because again, again, it's SNL logic, because it's mostly produced by, or or like, featuring SNL-ish people, written by SNL-ish people, like, everything that stars, any comedy movie that stars a SNL person, they're they're all kind of the same. <laughs> they're all very similar to each other. Really? Because it's this. Yeah, I mean, all the Adam Sandler comedy movies are largely largely similar to big Will Ferrell comedy movies and the big Mike Myers comedy movies. And they're, I mean, unless they're Austin Powers. Austin Powers is its own wonderful, beautiful thing. Uh. Yeah, but like a bunch of those sort of sorts of movies that are like it's just a series of bits held together by just the thinnest plot. And if those the bits aren't good, plot. okay, yeah, the loosest plot. And if the bits aren't good, then your movie sucks. But if the bits are great, like uh, Coming to America, and it's just bit after bit of Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall playing other characters, then it, you have an instant classic in your hands. But if it's just a movie like this, it's like you don't you don't really have anything. I think there's an instant classic in the premise that's basically the last half of the third act where everyone is stuck at the mall. Yeah, I sure. think if you were to write a film with those characters stuck in a mall because of a snowstorm on Christmas Day, I think you yeah. have an interesting premise there. Maybe, maybe, maybe if someone wants to write like a spin-off film of, about the other characters mm-hmm. and the hours they spent in the mall stuck together. Yeah. Maybe either maybe you can maybe that can be Daddy's Home 2.5. Mhm. SN like movies made by SNL stars, like comedy movies by by SNL stars become instant classics if one of two things happen. One, it's so ridiculous and bad that it's preposterous but it lives on, kind of like Paul Blart. Paul Blart is still like a memorable movie in the cultural zeitgeist of things because it it's so dumb. Yeah, it is. Okay. It kind of is. Um or it has to be comedic genius from beginning to end, like Caddyshack and Coming to America. And like a lot of early Eddie Murphy movies. Um, and this is not one of them. <laughs> this movie is not yeah. that. It's a, it's a high bar that you're setting. I understand why you're setting that standard. So, yeah, I, I, I don't think, to be fair to the filmmakers here, I don't think that's what they go for. Yeah, I don't think so either. I don't think I agree completely. But like Animal House was also going for money. <laughs> you know what I mean? I and it, but it was also like, we're going to do something goofy because we have some of the most talented minds comedy has ever created, you know, like like Belushi and Chevy Chase and the National Lampoon guys like mm-hmm. you can't have that collection of talent and have something be so incredibly like dull like if you have will ferrell in a movie you have to give him good 
Even Barbie has better bits for Will Ferrell to do than this movie. Yeah. The Lego, the Lego movie has a, a great bit for Will Ferrell to do both as a Lego piece and as the human father. And it's a very honestly moving scene between a father and son. It's, it's like, it's like barely there. And they didn't have to put in the movie. And the fact that they did is like just this father son relationship where the son is like, no, my dad is too rigid. And we could like bond over this set of toys he has in his basement, super glued together. You're starting to do the thing where you're getting distracted by talking about other movies. So let me me pull you back into reality. Let me pull you back into reality, Pat. And Will Ferrell is way too funny to be in movies that are this lame, is what I'm trying to say. So what's your what, what's your your sort of poll quote to round this episode off? This has been Daddy um, Some Two. What's what's your what's your uh, consensus about it? What 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 would you like to say before we end the episode? Okay, I would like to say two things. One is that the Far East Movement song "Like a G6" was dated by the time the first movie came out. It was dated. Three move like five years before this movie came out. Uh huh. And the second thing I want to say is that the Ford Flex is a great car for the entire family, and it doesn't break the bank. Absolutely, I I I think <laughs> I I think I would like to agree. And when if and if, if, someone, if, someone, if, someone, if someone pulls a quote from this podcast, I would like for them to attribute your. Astounding endorsement of the Ford Flex. I would like them to attribute it to the <laughs> both of us because it's a sentiment that I share. Of course, very much. The so. bomb shelter. The bomb shelter proudly endorses the Ford Flex as the family car of choice. Whenever two people that have no family. When, whenever we are taking our family on a big trip, <laughs> we always we always rely on the Ford Flex, and that is a guarantee. Yeah. That is like that. When I have a family, I'm gonna get a Ford Flex. That's that's my guarantee. That's Great. my promise. So uh, my final thoughts for Daddy's Home Two are that they're bad. I like my <laughs> comedies either super absurd or R-rated. Yes, and sadly, of this one is neither. Even it, it has some meta humor towards the end when they go and see that Liam Neeson film. And they go, oh my god, it looks so violent, but it's PG thirteen. And then they sort of look at the cameras, like, uh huh, like a kind of like, kind of like our film. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, yeah, you're you're telling me yeah, sure. you're you're repeating a fact that I, that's kind of making me like the film a little less, if I'm honest. But hey, yeah, both these movies have like stirring endorsements of violence as a way to solve problems. Yeah. It's either it's either violence or things that are centered in music, like musical numbers, or a dance off set to Far East movements, like a G six. So our next episode is gonna be <laughs> uh, our next episode is gonna be our 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 Christmas special. Christmas special, yeah. It's gonna be a Christmas because we're we're watching Christmas movies. That's that's the reason we're calling. We're gonna it a Christmas watch. Special. Yes, we're gonna choose the movies. You don't get you don't get a say in this this time. Uh, we're gonna choose the movies. But af- I hope one of them the is Christmas, Christmas special. Print. After the Christmas special, we're gonna need a new poll, right? Yes, we are. And so, and to fill this um the the spot this movie had, which is the um how to say the it's, blockbuster. It's it's the blockbuster f- spot. We we'll usually reserve it for blockbuster, but. 
you know, I talked about it earlier. It's like, let's put something weird in here so that our first episode after the Christmas special is something sure. weird and memorable. Do you have an cats. idea, Pat? <laughs> cats. But cats is going to win. That's not. Cats is going to win immediately. Uh, the Room, uh, Jack and Jill, um, Wonder Woman 1984 to me is a very weird movie. <laughs> it's very weird. The more you think about it, the weirder it is. Okay. Uh, but well, to me, yeah, those are the ones, Jack and Jill and Cats are the ones that I have on my head. Do you have any? I, I, I was going to say Trash Humpers by Harmony Corinne to just go full weird. <laughs> just, what did you just say? That's a real film. Did you, do you not know about Trash Humpers? I thought you were saying like a parody movie. No. <laughs> I thought you were saying like a fake movie. No, 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 no. I no, no, no. This this is not this is not a Mike Potions uh or maybe or maybe a Mike Potions movie I have never heard of. Yeah. No, this is not a Mike Trash Pot- Humpers. Trash Humpers. That's it's real. It's a real film 2009 okay. by directed by Harmony Corinne. It's it's an hour and ten minutes long though, it, but it might be a little short. That's that's the only problem. Yeah, it here. might be a little short. Uh, if, if, we could if, start if a category we, for just if if we if we put in Trash Humpers and it wins, we might have to pair it with another film. Yeah, yeah, we probably should, huh? Um, I think we should start a new category. Whatever movie is on has been on the poll for way too long, we should just probably take it off the poll. And replace it with a category of just batch. No, that we have a category of like batshit crazy, weird, obscure things. Yeah, it's Deep Blue Sea is currently occupying that spot. Yeah, Deep Blue Sea is currently occupying that spot. Um, yeah, I still, I'm still doing Jack and Jill or Cats, man, because Jack and Jill is a nightmare I have not revisited in many, many years. See, Trash Humpers is a brand new nightmare. That's what I'm positing. Here. It's a brand. It's a brand new. Is it really brand new? No, it's from 2009, but you, you haven't seen it. <laughs> I haven't seen it. I have not seen it. So for us, it will be brand okay, new. Okay, let's, let's, tra- let's do Trash Humpers then. There That's going to go. go on the poll. There you go. Because you're right. If we put Cats, Cats is going to win. We could also do Sharknado. No, that's going to win too. Trash Humpers it is. We, <laughs> we need to give Manta Manta a fighting chance. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We need to give Manta Manta a chance. You see the levels that I'm working at here? You're completely right. Yeah. So uh, whenever when Manta Manta goes out of circulation and is replaced by a Mexican or German movie that is more famous, then we can put Cats into the list or Jack Jack and Jill. Cats is gonna immediately win. Exactly. Any day we put it in. Exactly. So Cats, we're gonna we're gonna wait until Cats is when we've exhausted all creativity. And then we're going to start putting our Rise of Skywalkers, our Suicide Squads, our Green Books, our... Oh, wait, I have uh, the 90s Captain America movie here, starring J.D. Salinger's son. <laughs> yeah. That's... As in Catcher in the Rye author J.D. Salinger. His son played Captain America in a direct-to-video 90s really? Captain America movie. Interesting. It's, okay. it's, and it's, re- it's real bad. It's, it's a really bad, weird movie. Okay. Yeah, but we could. Well, we could I, do- I, I have, I have. See, be, because of the school that I go to now, I've been informed of some truly cult, cult classic I, that that I can that I, that I think we can talk about, which is why I'm getting oh, us we started could do with Ma- trash. Manos hands of fate. We could do Manos hands of fate. For example, <laughs> exactly. So, the, let's do trash humpers. The poll after the Christmas special is gonna be 
Cocktail. Cocktail. Manta Manta. Deep Blue Sea. And Trash Humpers. Yeah, that's going to be our poll next week. <laughs> well, not next week, but the... The one right after the, the show Christmas. after the... The one right after Christmas special. Uh, Max, where can people find you? I'm out and about uh, right now. So if, if you're lucky, you can catch me on my way to, the, to my local pizzeria. If you're yeah. looking for me online, uh, I, I am on Letterboxd. Uh, my username on there is Masswer. You can also find me on Wattpad, where I have all my Mike Potions <laughs> fan fiction. And yeah, I hope you give it a read. Maybe give me some feedback. Pat, where can people find you? Um, um, mostly on text-based uh, social media. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, on Threads, and on Letterboxd at PattersonIdiot. And I also have a movie blog that I don't post on that often, but I might uh, with just rambling thoughts about random ass movies. I might do like an academic essay of Mike Potion's movies if I see enough of them. Yeah, for, or his three episode arc on, on Third Rock from the Sun. I'm going to, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to watch that three episode arc from Third Rock from the Sun and I'm going to like really break it down style wise like you would an episode of Breaking Bad. There you but go. But just Mike Potion's. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's Max, a, it's, it's a rare example. It's a it's a rare example. Sorry for cutting you off there, Pat. It's a rare example of a '90s sitcom during a serialized so, storyline over more than two episodes. Like, it was ahead of its time. I agree. Max, uh, what's your favorite? Just to close out, what's yeah. your favorite Mike Potions movie? It's probably. It's probably Parappa Song Two. As in Parappa the Rappa from PlayStation? Yeah, he, uh, but it, that well, it's that that is a video game based on the Mike Potion series of films. Oh wow, I'm gonna have to watch those movies then. I'm yeah. severely uneducated when it comes to Mike Potions. I've I think I've seen the Orange Kumquat. I don't know if you have. It's a blind spot for me, if I'm honest with you. Okay, I hope you watch it uh, and we can talk about it. Maybe if we're bored, yeah. Watching before, Hallmark I, movies. I, I'll, I promise you, I will watch it before our Christmas episode. How about that? Okay, and we can talk about the Orange Club quite. Um, if, if we if we get been, bored in between, yeah, yeah. It's been delightful to talk to you again, buddy. It's been delightful to talk to you as well. It's been delightful to talk to you, audience, and we'll All hear each audience. other for the Christmas special. Take care. If you've been listening to this entire episode you're a real you're a real one <laughs> you're really you're really a real fan <laughs> i can't believe you're still here but i'm very grateful that you're here and uh we'll see you next time and merry happy holidays not just christmas happy holidays